Welcome into District 1 Sports. Mike and Micah back for another week. Micah, how was your last couple of days? How have they been? I'm just wondering. Extremely chaotic and not for any personal reasons, literally because NBA Twitter and the last two NBA days have been the most lit NBA days or even sports days of, that I can remember because what is even going on in the sports world right now? It's been since yesterday morning, the news came and it came crazy. We started with Scott Brooks, obviously the biggest story for the Washington Wizards, and we'll get to that in depth. Scott Brooks leaving the Washington Wizards, uh, Sam Van Gundy being let go, Kawhi out probably for the rest of the playoffs, CP3 catching COVID. Uh, you have the Mavs front office is all in disarray. Now, Rick Carlisle, as we're recording, Rick Carlisle is out. Uh, their GM, Donnie Nelson, is out. So much has gone on in the last couple of days. And then we had two amazing games on top of that last night. So we're going to break everything down from the NBA. But we are the district, so we do have to start in D.C. And something happened that we've been hoping and praying for for the past two years, it feels like. Scott Brooks and the Washington Wizards are done. There's no coming back. There's no one last ride. This isn't the last dance for Scott Brooks. He's gone. He's not coming back. So I don't really have a question, Micah. I just want to know, how did you feel about this? Hold on. Before we start, let me just say, um, let me just say what you just said. Scott Brooks is fired. You know, that, that really does feel good, bro. That, I just needed that for my own therapy reasons. But um, to answer your question, thank goodness that it happened. I feel great, honestly. And it does, you know, I'm, I don't feel great because a, a great, you know, weight has been lifted off of our shoulders. I mean, he's just a basketball coach and he has to manage a roster, but what I feel great about is the fact that new life might get brought in here to change something up. For the last five years, um, a general state of just being okay with being a lower-seeded playoff team, a team that was never going to be able to even reach the conference finals. This is what the Wizards' cap was with Scott Brooks, and as the year has the years have gone on, it's got progressively worse. This year kind of being almost the worst given the roster that he had and what he could have brought to the table. And it's just time to move. So, I mean, there's not really much to say instead. besides that this should have been happened. And the fact that we finally get it now, maybe it's a time that they're going to, you know, break the tolerance and the idea that they're just okay with being okay. I'm happy that this happened, and I'm happy it's happening now. That's really all I got to say about it. Scott Brooks, thanks, but it's time for you to go, and you're gone. So, with Scott Brooks leaving... It's not really, like you said, a celebration by any means. Like, I'm not throwing things up in the air because this is still not a great roster. But it takes one element out that helps us understand and diagnose what is really wrong with this Wizards roster and what needs to take us to the next level. Because if you have a coach now go from back-to-back years, not succeed, you know that it's not the coach's problem, per se. Even if it's a new coach, you know that there's certain issues on the roster that need to be fixed. Now we get to see, does Russ and Beal really work together? Is there a way that they can incorporate Rui more? Were they not getting Bertans the right amount of looks? This three-guard lineup. Just so many questions that we had about scheme-wise, we have to take away. Is the defense really that bad? Or is the scheme that Scott Brooks was running where you were switching everything just wasn't putting you in the right position to actually make any stops? So with the new coach... Everything is seen with a fresh eye. And that helps just diagnose, again, what is really wrong with this roster. 
if Beal and Russ are able to take this roster to a four seed next year, we know we knew that, okay, we're not that far away. It was really a coaching thing, and we need a couple of pieces here and there. But if we're an 8, 9, 10 seed fighting for a play-in again, then it's okay. Scott Brooks, even though he does have his flaws, he did the best he could because there wasn't really real talent on this team. And as he went on and we saw what he was doing with a three-guard lineup, maybe that was the best option because he didn't have any other wing reliable to go to. So it helps to just see where we need to go forward. And I was just so worried about a retread that didn't answer any questions for us uh, going into next year. So I think it's a huge, huge thing for the Wizards organization that Scott Brooks, at least for now, is deemed as the issue. And that should help us move forward. And we'll find out sooner or later. That's the great thing about sports. You're going to find out sooner yep. or later whether he was the issue or whether it was the players and just not having enough talent. So I want to transition over from Scott Brooks to now the future, Micah. What are you looking for in a coach? What are your top qualities that you're looking for in a coach? One of the biggest things that I feel like the Wizards have lacked really since, I mean, it feels like Randy Whitman has, you know, been fired or was released is discipline. If Randy Whitman was good at anything in the world, and he wasn't good at very, very much, but if he was good at anything, it was getting them to play at the very, very least, disciplined basketball and playing with intensity down the stretch. And that's something we've been lacking, really, for the last five years, and especially being highlighted with Beal and Russ, you know, being the two superstars. There was a clear lack of attention to detail on things like defense, play calling, rotations, and overall just feel of the game and a game flow. There was a almost absent-mindedness from the head coaching down, and I do think that going forward, one of my big things is accountability, making sure your guys are playing defense and giving effort at the least. Now, I always say, and I only keep saying it, a lot of pro defense, you're not always going to be the best defender. There's only 10 guys they deem in the NBA as top-level defenders. But, dog, you just have to give a lot of effort out there. If you give effort, most of the time you'll play okay defense because not every shot is going in. A great team is only making between 47 and 49 you know, percent of their shots. So give effort and you'll play better defense. And one of the biggest things I'm looking for is being able to manage stars and young guys. I need a veteran and I'm, I can't say a veteran coach, but I need somebody that understands the personalities in the room and knows what to do with them. He knows who to play with who and why that is. He knows who to talk to after certain situations. He knows who to go to when certain things need to happen, whether it's an energy push or whether they need to control the clock. These are all things that go into the situational awareness that was just missing. And I think that has to be a high, high, you know, aspect of, of you know, of importance of what they got to hire next. Somebody that understands the situations and knows how to capitalize on them. Because we've seen far too much. When situations were there, there was no capitalizing them at all. And it really hurt us. So that's something I'm looking for. It doesn't have to necessarily be from a veteran head coach or, a, a you know, a head coach that's been moved around a lot it could be from an assistant but it has to be coming from a sound basketball mind and somebody that can execute the ideas they have in their head and make the most out of the roster two things that i'm looking for defensive scheme and the ability to create open shots on offense i think those are the two main things that this team was lacking this year and i'll explain with the open shots watching these playoffs have has been eye-opening for me just how difficult versus how easy it is to get shots for some teams Honestly, with the Brooklyn Nets, it's easy because you have Kevin Durant. No no dig at 
uh, Steve Nash, but we have a player that can just rise over everybody. You can get your shot at any time. But looking at a team like the Phoenix Suns, where Jay Crowder isn't a sniper, but he's shooting like 40% from the three. Bridges is hitting from three. Devin Booker gets open shots. Chris Paul's able to work. The ball moves. It's not sticky. The Wizards were a very ISO-heavy team, and every shot that Beal had to get, it was a tough shot. Like, a tough shot in that it was cool that he made it, and it was just a great play and great highlight. But it was also very physically tough for him to get those shots because he's shaking two people off. He's uh, splitting a double team. He's getting to the lane and getting fouled. And it just wasn't an easy shot to be able to, hey, let's kick it out to this guy, and it's a quick three. If Bertans is going to be worth his value in this contract, he has to be able to get wide open shots. He's really good at hitting contested shots. He hit 40% from uh, the three-point line this year. That's not bad at all. But if we wanted to get to like 42, 43, let's get him some open looks. And if we're able to translate open looks, ball movement, not being a sticky offense, it just makes to a faster pace. Everything looks very cool and seamless. And the offense just flows better, which helps also with defense. The defense was a struggle. Brad sometimes would just have to give up on a play because he knew he had to go back on the other end and score because he had no other options. Hopefully, this coach is able to develop uh, Denny and Rui, and that helps take off the load off of Brad and Russ. But Brad and Russ themselves also have to be willing to get rid of, hey, I have to do this all by myself. You have other guys that can help you out. Do you know Rui shot 60% from three in the playoffs? And I know it's five games, but 60% and then 61% from the field. That is, it's not a fluke because we've seen Rui go on a heater from three. So if I can see ball movement, having a good defense, and just not letting that ball stick, I'll be completely happy. And then finally, just on the Wizards end, who are your top coaching candidates that you want to see be the head of this Wizards team? So in gathering my thoughts for today's pod, man, one of the big ones, and I mentioned it before, and maybe in the last couple of years, I, you know, I can't really remember, but he's always been on my mind as a perfect coach is Sam Cassell and I mentioned it before and I'll mention it again at this point he's a career assistant that has been successful everywhere he has gone since he's been an assistant a former world champion and all a third team all NBA player with the Minnesota Timberwolves a person that understands the game a fundamental true understanding of the game he's been here in DC under Randy Whitman coaching up young John Wall and Bradley Beal he went to the Clippers and he's been overseeing some of their best years as a franchise. And now he's over there with the 76ers overseeing them be the one seed and them possibly make it to the finals. It's a great possibility. Sam Cassell would be a perfect, perfect fit because I do think that it is time for him to get his head coaching, you know, chance, especially when there's other guys who I feel are less qualified than him getting jobs, getting fired, albeit, but still getting jobs. I think it would be a perfect, perfect situation for him to walk into and i mean before today and i didn't mention this for a reason that before today i had sam cassell on my mind but mavs moving on from rick or excuse me rick carlisle moving on from the mavs is a is a big big thing because everything i talked about as far as discipline and understanding the game rick carlisle has that make no mistake about it rick carlisle is a great coach but he's not really good for what the mavs are trying to do apparently now and I do think that Rick Carlisle will be coaching in the league next year. Maybe he'll take a more coveted job. You know, may, one may open up or others may be on the table. I'm looking at maybe a Boston job. That would be cool. Or if, you know, the Bucks have an open job, that would be cool. But if those things happen and Rick Carlisle has a chance to be the Wizards coach, 
I'm going to say 100% yes, and I'm doing cartwheels down my street because that's a winning NBA coach. He's won in the finals. He can do that. He's been overseeing he the Mavs. Seven, seven 50-plus win seasons. And that's I've no fluke. I've never seen one. And that's no fluke. And exactly. And see, that right there. Over multiple eras. <laughs> and Exactly. And that's a guy who knows what it looks like. He's been around generational talents. I mean, he's coached Dirk in his prime. He's just finished coaching Luka. And I'm sure he's been around the game coaching other great players. I think he would be perfect for this. But uh, those are my two guys, Sam Cassell and Rick Carlisle. Two guys I feel have a great understanding of the game and could get the most out of this roster. I'm looking at Unseld and Becky Hammond. Unseld because reading about him, obviously we know the history with his father being the greatest wizard chess bullet of all time number retired everything that whole story would be nice but just straight basketball and coaching he is heralded as one of the better younger defensive minds in the league if the wizards can just play decent defense they don't have to score 120 and 130 points every game maybe you can have a night where it's 110 105 and you can win so getting somebody that is defensive minded would be key and then becky hammond coming from that pop coach tree him giving her essentially the blessing, saying that she is ready. She's the type that, hey, Pop played great defense, also was able to scheme up a great offense for Tim Duncan. He hasn't really translated into this new style of basketball, and that's more of just uh, what he has on this roster, which is guys that are mid-range and long twos type of guys. But I think that she'll have an ability to be able to scheme up something great for Brad and Russ. Uh play great defensive scheme. I just don't think anything can get worse that almost any coach is an upgrade, uh, except for Bud uh, going to the Wizards. But <laughs> besides that, oh my God. <laughs> I just think any coach is an upgrade, but I really would be looking at Wes and Becky. This offseason, however, is not going to go without any competition. There are jobs already lining up. Teams are getting ready to put in their offers for the best coaches you mentioned Rick Carlisle, and I love him. I think he's an amazing coach. But I don't think he's taking the Wizards' opportunity because there are a lot of jobs out there. So I'm going to read off the list real quick. We have the Wizards, the Celtics, the Pacers, the Magic, the Mavs, the Pelicans, the Blazers. And we are, for this uh, for this assignment and this test or whatever, we are adding the Bucks because we do think Bud will be gone. So, Micah, I want you to rank the worst job to the best job and why you have your order the way it is. Yeah, so going from the worst to the best, I think the absolute worst job here is the Orlando Magic. There's just no really upside. They traded everybody that kind of mattered. They're kind of left with scraps, and they're going to be a perennial lottery team unless something ridiculous happens. Um, Not necessarily an ideal job for a new head coach, or even a veteran coach still trying to prove themselves. So we go Magic at the bottom, second to last, Portland, and... It's hard to say Portland, but when you really look at it and the logistics of the team that they have built through trades and whatever it is, it's really hard to even surround anybody else with Dame because that team is so locked into Dame and CJ and really that's it. There's It would take a miracle to really add pieces to that roster and with both of them being 30 plus, I mean, you're looking at a situation where you know, CJ might be late 20s, early 30s, whatever the case may be, but basically their primes are pretty much done and Dame is a superstar, so he'll still play at a high level, but... They're in a really tough situation, so that's just not really ideal either. Although, they could still be an A seed or 7 seed, whatever the case may be, but nothing really higher. Next, I have the Boston... So Actually, no, let me change this. I, I had the Boston Celtics 
And I had the Boston Celtics because I do think that Jason Tatum and whatever young pieces are there, they're going to be gone. And that's just a product of what they've been doing and the culture that they've been building. There's kind of a lack of that. And I know Brad Stevens, one of my favorite coaches, decided to basically go upstairs and kind of manage everything and oversee everything. But I don't necessarily think that's going to stop the inevitable. I think the guys who are young right now, like Jason Tatum, possibly even Jalen Brown, they're going to pack up their bags and leave because why not? There's other places to go win. Why be, especially because of, you know, what Boston is as a basketball city, as a sports city, why be loyal to people that aren't loyal to you? I'm just thinking about that. So next on my list, I do have the Indiana Pacers. And I think the Indiana Pacers are in a really interesting situation because while they don't necessarily have that clear-cut superstar, and I know Sabonis is great and he's an all-star level player, but they don't have a guy that's going to wow you. But I do think that their team as a whole is one of the better ones, you know, one of the better constructed ones in the league. And I think with proper coaching that they will always end up being in that fifth to sixth to see, you know, four or five, six in the East. And I think that's a great, very great position, but I don't know if they have the talent to rise up above that. It would take them to either draft a guy or trade for a guy or make something happen where they get a superstar and you could possibly see the upside in that. But I just don't think that their future will ever be Eastern Conference Finals or Finals. They're always going to be in that mid-tier in the East. And as a coach, I would just look at that skeptically and be like, well, maybe we could do something better. My next job is, well, I guess the Mavs job is open now, and that's going to be an interesting situation. But I would take the Mavs job next because, I mean, that's Luka Doncic. And from what the, you know, when the news first came out that the GM and Rick Carlisle have, you know, kind of been leaving, I always thought that it was a, you know, a bad thing for Lucas case, but I do think that, and what we're seeing is that Rick Carlisle and Luca had a little bit of rifts. Let's just say that because who really knows what's been going on, but they have some rifts and it wasn't working out. But I do think that Mark Cuban and whoever is making decisions is doing this because they want to keep Luca around. So if they want to appease Luca and get Luca to sign a, a supermax, then I think this is a wonderful place to be because as long as you have Luca Doncic, you still have a chance. And I think Maybe adding a, a fresh new coach could give this roster a new look and possibly attract players to come do this with Luka because if Luka just gets an ounce of help, I mean, they should be in the Western Conference Finals for all intents and purposes. Next, I do have the Washington Wizards. Um, And I mean, the Wizards, they have a great chance with some proper coaching to be in that same range as the Pacers, that four, five, six, but they have two superstars. And those two superstars are going to be here for at least next year. And if you win with those two superstars and you do a great job and you bring them to possibly 50 wins or you do something with that, then they're going to be in a great situation where they could get, you know, commits long term, relatively long term. Of course, all of these guys are going to be able to, you know, be moved and whatnot. But I think that for winning purposes in the East, the Wizards have a great situation going for them. And there's a lot of pieces to do that. Only downside to the Wizards job is if you completely take it, you're back in rebuild mode and no coach wants to go through that. So you really have to believe in yourself and your scheme to get the most out of the Wizards roster. Next, I do have the Pelicans. And we did add the Bucks to this. So I'll just say my, my two and my one are the Pelicans and the Bucks at one. But for the Pelicans, man, I mean, you had the Pelicans have everything they need pretty much. They just have to make it work on the court. And I think that they need somebody that's going to energize them and make them believe that they can do that. Because Zion is a top five player very, very soon. If not next year, in the next two years, he's going to be there. If not 
already approaching that. Brandon Ingram is an all-star level player. We already seen him make all-stars. If you want to keep Lonzo, there's a lot of things you can do with the Pelicans roster, and I don't think Stan Van Gundy was getting the best out of them. And I think they realized that that time is now before Zion decides he wants to go to a big market like <clears throat> New York. So I think that's a great job to be in because if you can win with them, you'll get long-term commits again. And finally, like I said, the Bucks. If we're considering that Mike Budenholzer, Coach Budenholzer, is going to get fired because I do think, and I probably think you think too, that he is gone regardless of what happens. That's the best spot to be because Giannis is not going anywhere right now. He he is not going anywhere, and you can't really move that contract unless you complete deal of the lifetime. You have the roster to go win an NBA Finals. You have the roster to go win an NBA Finals, and Mike Budenholzer is holding them back. Of course, there's a couple other things that needs to be addressed, but I do think that one of the fundamental issues is that Mike Budenholzer isn't getting the best out of his players. And in a time where, in a team, excuse me, in a team that really needs a lot of scheme dependency like the Bucks do, for some reason, Mike decides to abandon the scheme and kind of do his own thing, and it just never works. And it never works for the uh, on the court for the Bucks. So I think that if you're looking at the Bucks situation and the fact that even with Mike Budenholzer, they're still always going to be scratching the conference finals, why not get a coach that knows what they're doing and go get to the finals and go win one with Giannis because you're not getting these years from Giannis back he's going to evolve as a player but the dominant player he is right now and the roster they have right now to go win you're never getting this team back again so the Bucks I mean if you're a coach that wants to go win and you can see the vision of them winning that's a perfect spot but yeah I think that the Bucks have the best job the Magic outright have the worst job but all these jobs are relatively interesting and I do want to see where everybody kind of lands we're in total lockstep. The Magic have the worst job available. There's no future. There's nothing there. You're <laughs> banking on Wendell Carter, R.J. Hampton, Cole Anthony, and Mark Alfold. Ew. If that's me, I can't have that be my first job. I, I just can't. There's nothing that you can pay me, nothing that you can say that will make this be worth my while to have this as my first job in the NBA. After that, I go to Indiana Pacers. The Pacers are a team where if you're a really good coach, you'll be able to get a lot out of them. But Micah, let me ask you this. What do you see as the ceiling of the Pacers' best absolute season where you're like, you know what? This was the greatest Pacers season we could have had with this roster. Man, the absolute best is the absolute, absolute best is game seven of the semifinals. And well, the yeah, the conference semifinals, and they have a chance to go to the conference finals, and they lose in the seventh game. That's the best because they have no there. There's nothing that could bring them up to the conference finals, and if they do get to the conference finals, they will get swept. Exactly. So looking at that, I'm like, well, you can be the greatest coach of all time, and you're taking this roster to a potential four seed, and you lose the one seed in seven games. So that's your best case scenario. Okay. That's why I put them above the Magic, because the Magic have no hope. I put the Blazers above the Pacers, because like you said, a couple of things. You can't really tweak this roster much. If you're trading C.J. McCollum, you're not getting anything of true value in return that either is as good as C.J. McCollum or is much better than C.J. There's a possibility that Dame leaves if this team still struggles. And if that happens, that's another terrible situation that you're in. I have the Wizards after that. And when we did this before, I had the Wizards much higher. 
But after thinking about it, Brad is still not committed long term. If you had a commitment from Brad and Russ that this was at least a three, four year experiment, you could potentially suck for one year and then be able to build back year after year to get yourself to a place where you feel like you're comfortable enough to be a two seed, get to the conference finals, maybe get to the NBA finals. But without the Brad commitment, it makes the job a lot less desirable because if Brad leaves, you're stuck with Russ and a bunch of young guys. And that's not getting it done. That's not taking you to the next level. And then with the ceiling of the Wizards, though, if I was to ask you, Michael, what is best case scenario, Brad and Russ, both all NBA players, best case scenario for the Washington Wizards, where do you see it? Best case scenario for the Wizards is that they actually do get to the conference finals and then maybe they win in six in the semifinals. But in the conference finals, they're simply overmatched because for all the great things that Brad and Russ do, they're going to not really be able to get them over that hump. So, um, Really going out in five in the conference finals is the absolute ceiling unless they make a big change. Exactly. So you're looking at being on the doorstep of a championship. Let's put this in perspective. The 76ers who have Embiid and Simmons and that whole process and everything, they haven't reached a conference finals yet. So if your ceiling best case scenario is getting to an NBA conference finals, that's a pretty good spot to be in. But until you get that commitment from Brad, it just can't be above the rest of these teams. The Celtics. The Celtics have the opportunity. They've already extended Jalen Brown. Have the opportunity to give Jason Tatum the most money. I assume that Tatum is going to sign there with the long-term deal. I don't think he's giving up all that money to just move somewhere else. If you have Tatum now locked in for a long long time, as a coach going in, you always believe your scheme is enough to mask the issues that a team may have and take him to that next level. I think the the Celtics last year were a game or two away from the NBA Finals against the Los Angeles Lakers. I think a coach goes in there and thinks, yeah, we tweak a couple things on this roster and we could be right back in that mix of being in the Finals. So I think they're a little bit higher than the Wizards. The Pelicans, you have Zion, you have Ingram. Zion, like you said, could potentially be a top five player in this league. That's about it. It nothing more the Pelicans I I don't even think they could be a team that can be a top five team next year and I don't care what you have with Zion over a couple of years time that is enough to get you over the hump and you're licking the chops just to get an opportunity to coach a generational player like that which what brings me to the Mavs Mavs are ahead of the Pelicans because at least the Mavs have made the playoffs but they don't have enough around them Luka's amazing but there are some limitations where it comes to that roster where he doesn't have a number two, doesn't have somebody to go off of. And if that's the case, what exactly are you doing with this roster? So it would be the GM, the new GM to figure out what they're going to do with Luca. But if you just get Luca, somebody that's decent, that's the spot where you can be in the conference finals, like you said, Micah. And then we obviously agree on the number one spot, the Bucks. It's a championship ready team, just with a couple of tweaks. Instead of having Giannis bring up the ball, Put him in the post. Have Drew run the offense. Play certain lineups better. Play Giannis a little bit more. Switch away from your defensive style. Have Giannis be more of an on-ball guy since he doesn't have to take the offensive load of bringing the ball up on the other end. So many just little things that you can make to make this team so much better. I think this is where Rick Carlisle ends up. And you brought it up the minute he left. You were like, oh, the Bucks makes yep. no sense. Because the minute he's able to get his hands on this roster... We saw what he did with just Luka. He has now three guys that are able to create their own shot. Yeah, Rick is going to be able to succeed in that situation. So 
for me, the Bucks would be a clear number one. Obviously, you have them as the number one. And it's just interesting to see um, how this shakes out. But teams are going to be fighting a lot. The coaching market is going to be hot. A lot of contracts are going to be getting sent out there. If the Wizards really want their guy, I think they're going to have to pay, unfortunately. But if he ends up bringing me my first 51 season, gets me to the Eastern Conference Finals, or even just the second round of the playoff, let me just see a playoff a playoff victory, right. then, hey, it's worth the contract at this point. And then, Micah, quickly before we round up here, I just want you to uh, talk on this Utah Jazz Clippers series, uh, Hawks, Sixers, and the, the Brooklyn Nets, and the Milwaukee Bucks. What do you see happening in these series? Yeah, this is, I would almost say unprecedented because every team that, I, well, besides the Nets that I thought will be leading this series, is just simply not doing it right now. And it's for a number of factors. Um, Two epic collapses in last night's games on the 16th that just... It really put a lot of things in perspective. For one, and and really just the 76ers, ooh, you guys are really on the brink of decking this thing. And they, I I would honestly think at this point that they do deck it. And it's not really Embiid's fault, actually, and I'm not really going to do that. It's more so just, first of all, Doc, I mean, he does this choking thing. He's a master at it. But so many times that I've seen just inconsistencies from everybody else besides Embiid. It's just not there yet for them. And I don't know what else they could do at this point. So I would take Atlanta getting to the conference finals. And I mean, that's an easy walk down for either the Bucks or the Dets. But I think they get there just because, I mean, they play like they want it more than the 76ers. And at least right now, I mean, going back to Atlanta, it's just like, ooh, this is not going to end well. So I think Atlanta wins this series, and I think Philly just lost himself a chance at getting to the finals, realistically. Going to the Nets, and I'll just, you know, bump down to the Nets real quick on the other side of the Eastern Conference. Getting that win, man, that was, that's, 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 that's so important for the Nets, for KD, for what, you know, could happen in the next round. And I do feel like they do get to the next round and win. I think they I think they end this in seven. I do think that the Bucks have a chance to tie it. And I do think that in a game seven that KD kind of takes over and does what he has to do. He might have to play all 48, which sucks again. But he's shown that he could do it, albeit a bunch of other BS that happened. He shows that he could do it. And I don't think that the Bucks can finish them off. And, man, <laughs> the Clippers and PG. Playoff P. He, oh. he actually did it. He actually did it. That's- I mean, pandemic P is dead. That name is dead. Yeah, yeah. Can't, can't use it anymore. You know, I don't even want to call him playoff P. Now he's just Paul George again. And I think for everybody <laughs> involved in the Paul George belief, that's a great thing because he looked like he did again when he was playing with the Indiana Pacers. And that first year, that first healthy year with the with the Oklahoma City Thunder, this is what that performance reminded me of. Because finally, we didn't see him tell, settling for dumb shots or kind of being the two, the Kawhi, he really took over the reins of the game and decided, I'm going to control the pace. I'm going to take smart shots. I'm going to get to the cup. I'm going to make a lot of contact on the way. And I'm going to play the defense that needs to be played. And that's when Paul George was doing that every single night for all 82-plus playoffs. That's when I considered him a top three, the top five small forward in the league. But this recent pandemic P thing going on, nah. But I'm happy to see that for the Clippers because – you're seeing a Jazz team that is just losing the edge that they had. Donovan Mitchell was hurt, and we really saw it last night. He brought nothing to the table. And, I mean, we all saw that game. When the Jazz are shooting as hot as you are, when you're shooting as hot as you are, 
in a first half. Naturally, in the second half, you're not going to be able to replicate that. And the only issue was there was only a single-digit lead going into the half, and they shot the lights out. So that was just grounds for disappointment. And with the Clippers going right back to L.A. and how different the Jazz play on the road, have the Clippers winning this. So, I mean, Paul George pretty much won this series for them last night, and I think that's a wonderful thing. So, you know, I'll just kind of wrap it up real quick, man. I have the Clippers advancing. I have ATL advancing, I have the Hawks advancing, and I have Brooklyn advancing, but none of the, except the, you know, except the Nets, this is nothing else I expected to happen has happened so far, and I guess that's a sign of a great playoffs and great competition, so I'm happy to see it, but it's getting really, really interesting. I think each of these series are going seven games. I haven't made up my mind yet. Only when I really don't trust... The Nets. I don't trust yeah. Bud at all. Yeah. Like, I don't trust Bud at all, but the way Harden looked, KD played to perfection. Exactly. Like, there was nothing you can criticize about his game, and the Nets won by, what, two, three points? Barely got out of there alive. So, looking at that, with the momentum and a crowd on their side, I think Bucks win game six. Would Harden be healthy enough now playing every other day off a bad hamstring that elevates them to a game seven victory? I'll go with Nets and seven, not confident at all. I go with Hawks and seven, I guess. I, guess. I, I know, I know, I know it's hard. <laughs> I don't trust whatever Simmons is doing right now on the court. I don't know if it's basketball. And then I also don't trust the Utah Jazz, but I don't think playoff, uh, oops, sorry. I don't think Paul George. Yeah. Is going to be able to duplicate that for game six and game seven and have Reggie Jackson and Marcus Morris basically shoot 65% from the field. And if that doesn't happen, the Jazz end up winning those games. So I go Jazz, Hawks, Nets, but I don't feel confident about any of these. And it feels truly like the NCAA tournament where you have no – I don't know who's going to win the NBA championship. I have no clue now. Like, no clue. Because the Nets are just hurt everywhere. The Bucks, who knows? The Sixers can't can't get out their own way. Close a lead. Ben Simmons can't hit shots. The Suns now have the CP3 situation, but they should be fine. The Jazz and the Clippers are both fluke and fraud teams, so it's all over the place right now. And who knows? Maybe we just end up having the Atlanta Hawks as the NBA champion. Oh my God! <laughs> hey, they're the most healthy team right now. That that's what it comes down to. Besides Hunter, like everybody else is healthy and. It's looking like that's how it's going to decide this season for the NBA champion. That's going to wrap it up for this episode, though. We'll be back next week, same time, talking a little bit more. Washington Wizards, there'll probably be some news leaking out about the situation with the coaching. Are we getting any updates? Who's accepted an interview? Probably get into some Washington football stuff. Uh, there's been a Heineke Fitzpatrick debate. Not enough time to get into with this pod. We'll have all the training camp to discuss Heineke versus Fitzpatrick. But for Mike and for Mike, we'll see you on the next episode. Peace.